This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today I'm joined with Ramon, our CEO. And we also have a special guest with us, Amanda Getz, who is the CMO of Teal and founder of House of Wise. You might have seen Amanda on Twitter before. She's pretty active on that community. But she's going to be talking with us a lot about how SMBs can do influencer marketing. She had a really cool thread a while back that kind of helped us spark this conversation on why we're talking over here. So we have a lot of fun things that we're going to dive into. But before we go ahead and jump in, I'll pass the mic over to Amanda. Amanda, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I have been doing marketing and leading teams and brands for the past 15 years. I started my career in the professional services world. So I was actually doing marketing for Ernst & Young. And that is very different than the D2C world. Then after a few years, decided to go to a very small brand where I managed kind of the omni-channel marketing strategy. It was for a celebrity wedding planner. And so he had a reality TV show. He had book deals. He had licensing deals. So that kind of gave me uh, drinking through a fire hose of what it means to manage a brand across all these different channels. Did that for a few years, and then that led me to start my own tech company for the wedding space. I had that company for a few years, did an accelerator. That was back in 2011, 2012, when I was having my first baby as well. And startup accelerator, learned a ton about building, and... That led me, actually, it was kind of a, I was pitching at a female pitch night one night and it happened to be at the Knot's offices and Carly Roney, the founder of the Knot, was on the panel. And afterwards she came over and she's like, let's grab coffee this week. And so we grabbed coffee and she asked me how it was like really going. And a few years in, we were trying to really create a tech-heavy solution. We were trying to connect people based on availability. So it was an availability software that plugged into all the different calendars. And it was difficult. And I didn't have... I was a first-time non-technical female founder. And so at that time when she said, I have a position for you, do you want to come to The Knot? It seemed like the right time for me to transition back into in-house. And so I was at The Knot for five and a half years. I led the rebrand and the acquisition and integration with our competitor, Wedding Wire, to become the Knot Worldwide. And so we became a global company. And while I was there, I was navigating a divorce, three small kids, and obviously like at the height of my career, leading a a global brand. And I started to discover the world of cannabis. And I had never touched cannabis before, but I kind of turned to it out of just like a lot of anxiety and dealing with a lot of stuff. And I realized it helped me immensely. And I slowly was cutting back on how much I was drinking alcohol and wine at night. And so over time, I started to realize that there was this stigma around it. Like I felt guilty for doing something that was actually helping me. And that led me to start to explore getting back into the the startup world again. And about five weeks ago, I launched House of Wise, which is a luxury CBD company to help women take control of their sleep, sex, stress, and wealth. 
can share more about like what wealth means and the distribution strategy and this like notion of wise women. But while I was doing that, I also came across Teal and Dave Fano and I had taught a masterclass for them. And Dave and I just hit it off. He is an incredible founder and he cares so much about the mission of helping people take control of their careers. And so it's it's a similar mission. I'm all about having people be in control of their lives because for much of my life, I, I didn't feel in control. And so I spend half of my time with Teal, helping them grow their brand and think through their marketing strategy. And then the other half leading House of Wise. I was going to say, and your three kids. I have three kids, yes. Ages seven, five, and three as a single mom, so in a pandemic. So it's been a crazy year, you know, nothing new. (laughs) Well, you definitely have a skill that I don't think I have. Congrats and props on the success that you've accomplished because you must be a really good time um, manager, definitely. (laughs) That is definitely my superpower. That's awesome, that's really cool. So I'm really curious, so you said you just launched pretty recently. What are some of the strategies that you're kind of doing for your go-to-market strategy to be able to kind of grow in this early stage? Yeah. So when I think about go-to-market strategy, there's two ways. There's top-down, bottoms-up. Top-down meaning you have this brand and you just get everybody to know about it. You invest in paid, you invest in PR, and you just try to get as many eyeballs on your brand as humanly possible. Bottoms up is you spend a lot of time with your early adopters and you get them to be loyalists and brand ambassadors and you get them bought into the mission. And so it's way more time intensive. And the way I think about House of Wise is the latter because there's a huge education component to my demographic, my target audience, meaning millennial women who have careers or are moms and they kind of, you know, want to have it all and they're scared to touch this stuff. So we are doing the bottoms up approach of getting 500, what we call wise women, bought into the mission, bought into the products. They love the products. And then they're talking about it with their friends and family. And over time, we will start to add in the top where we will turn on PR, will turn on performance in some capacity. But I believe in brand marketing where you create a community first that understands and is is a part of that. And then it makes it easier because if you don't have that kind of emotional connection to your brand, you're going to spend so much money and all of a sudden your brain and your the game is just lowering CAC, lowering CAC. And you're not thinking about retention. You're not thinking about loyalty. You're not thinking about, you know, NPS to a certain extent. And if you just get into the CAC game, I I think it's a losing battle. You're going to be spending a lot of money. You're going to need to raise a lot of capital. And um, yeah. Right. And it probably just takes a lot more patience, too, that um, a lot of people don't have. And But I think it's all balanced out because... You know, you do spend more time building that core audience and those true fans. But if you don't do that, you're going to spend the same amount of time, if not more, having to raise capital to keep up with the numbers that you keep pushing. Exactly. And I think you nailed it. Like a lot of people don't have the patience. They they want to just show like we hit this much in sales in less than a year. But like sales numbers are 
great, but unless you show what you spent to get those, it means nothing. And so, you know, we haven't spent a dime on uh, customer acquisition. And that's awesome to me that we don't have to spend. We have people that are already on their second and third orders and we're just five weeks in because they like the product. And so to me, it's about, about getting people to love the product and having the best product out there. And then building a brand and a community that resonates with them and provides added value to their lives and creates an emotional connection. So how does the brand play in their mind and in their life? So it's less about me and more about what this brand stands for to them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And even on the customer acquisition piece, when you're talking about that, you can work as hard as you want to lower customer acquisition costs, but it doesn't really mean anything if people don't come back and repurchase Exactly. at the end of the day. So I know one of the things that you've kind of talked about, and the reason that we're here um, is talking about you know SMB influencer marketing. So I was a little curious if you used it for your current brand that you're working on. And I know you, you have some tips on here. So if you can share any advice on, you know, how some of these SMBs can kind of use influencer marketing to stand out and amplify their story. Yeah. So the way I think about partnerships and influencers are a type of partner, right? You're partnering with them and it's all earned, earned marketing. Like you are earning their, well, earned and paid because influencers are paid. But let me talk about the different tiers as I think about them. So you have ambassadors or micro-influencers. Those are people who have not a huge following, but they may have an emotional connection to your brand. And so you usually don't pay them. You may gift them product for them to talk about, but they're at that kind of like first tier. To me, that's where a lot of SMBs should spend their time because you can then focus on uh, actual conversion. You're partnering with influencers for actual conversion. They're going to talk to people. They're going to feel incentivized because they got free product or whatever. And they also help you with content production. So a lot of UGC comes from that for your own channel. So that's kind of the first tier. Then you move into macro influencers. Those are the people that do this for a living. And they have large followings. And they expect to be paid. They expect to have some kind of... They, this is their job. For SMBs, that tier, I think they they jump to that tier first because they're like, I just want to partner with this like one YouTuber or this like bachelorette star or whoever. What you have to understand is the, there's two different purposes. When you think about the marketing funnel, you have top of mind brand awareness, like how many eyeballs are getting on your brand. Brand awareness is one. And then you have to actually say which one converts, which actually like will give me enough content. And this is advertising 101. Like usually people don't convert the first time they see something. It takes it four or five impressions for them to actually reach conversion. And so building out influencer partnerships for me, you can't do one without the other. Like if you just pay a bachelor or bachelorette star to post about your your product, that's going to increase brand awareness. But if that's your only marketing tactic, you're missing that second, third, fourth, fifth touch point. And you have to think about these things holistically of how many times you're going to hit that user or that end consumer with your brand and your value props. And I like thinking about my influencer strategy with the micro-influencers mostly and then plugging in a few strategic macros 
that it is a longer term relationship where it's not just a pay to post. It is a let's create content together. Let's figure out how I can interview you on a series. Is there a way to promote you on PR? Like, can I develop a product with you where you feel bought into that product and you can say that you help this? I mean, Chipotle is great at this, right? They name burritos after people. And so you think about those macro influencers as more than just pay to play. Like we are beyond that. The end consumer knows when it is an ad, it feels like an ad. It doesn't feel like that person organically uses this product day in and day out. I will buy something from someone when I see them use it and they're not even promoting it. Like they're just talking to the camera and they're putting on whatever face serum. And then like two times later, they're like, oh my gosh, I've been getting a lot of questions about this face serum. I'm obsessed with it. Da, 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 da. That's a paid ad, but it feels organic because it was, you know, strategically placed in three other settings where I kept seeing her use it. So those are to me, the better ways of approaching influencer marketing. That's great. Um, And so, you know, I want to kind of follow up on that as well. And you mentioned, you know, Chipotle's had success over there. There's also some other brands that have had success. Hint has done a great job. Gymshark has done a great job using fitness influencers. But it feels like some of those some of those big hits were a little bit back. I'm curious, like, you know, as the influencer industry continues to evolve and grow, do you think that this kind of like big impact of influencer effort is still possible for growing brands today? Or do you think the market is a little bit different right now? So I do think that influencer marketing is still a thing. Um, People have reach. And if you, like I said, if you do it in the right way, the pay to play is no longer like a one hit wonder is not going to convert. It's not going to retain in the end user's mind. One trend that I am really, really interested in right now is the fact that some of these major creators are now becoming investors and getting into the investor game. And that's where I think we're going to start to see more and more creativity around distribution and getting distributors on your cap table. Because if someone is bought into your vision and they're obsessed with your product and they believe in where it's going why would I just pay them for every post when they want my company to succeed? And I'm seeing some founders start to get excited about this. But again, this is exception, not the rule. This is still very early. Many creators don't understand the value of equity. And also, if this is their full-time gig, liquidity is important to them. They want to make money. So you have to find someone that's really, really bought into your mission and vision of where you're going with your company. But to answer your act, like the direct question is, is influencer marketing still a thing? Yes, 100%. There are people who have reach. I think the world of macro versus micro influencers becomes continually more important to separate and understand what the value and purpose of each of them is and what's the ROI. Like you can spend a lot of money on influencers and it's still a lot of time and effort. And going back to what we said originally about going from the bottoms up and spending more time with those early adopters and making them feel valuable and making them feel seen, over time, that investment is going to be sometimes equal to a one-hit wonder post from a macro. 
For sure. So I'm kind of thinking over here as you were talking along is kind of like where does influencer marketing like fall into my overall strategy? Because I think uh, you mentioned that there's a couple of different approaches, right? Like, uh, and, and we might see in the future, some creators potentially becoming investors into companies. So when you're thinking about, you know, planning your marketing strategy, or even your go to market strategy, where would you consider influencer marketing falling between? Like, do you think of it as like paid? Do you think of it as like earned, shared? Where do you put that in your marketing mix? Yeah, this is really hard as a small business because you don't have a ton of resources, right? So the way I think about it right now is earned social falls under my earned social falls under my social team. So anything that is UGC and we want to prompt people to post and we're going to get our wise women to post about something that is kind of under community and social partnerships and partnerships means I have to actually have a one-on-one relationship with this person, understand what their needs are and develop a contract of sorts of, you know, we agree to exchange some sort of monetary or otherwise gifting thing. And in exchange for that, I get content, I get a post, whatever. Partnerships to me is it's a a different skill set. It's a one-to-one instead of a one-to-many. And so I put that under its own bucket where that skill set of a person who needs to do that needs to know how to target needs to know how to negotiate, needs to know how to like have intense intention to detail to make sure that the contracts line up and can do great project management to make sure everything's delivered on. And I view that person able to do influencers as well as brand partnerships. So if I'm going to go after our sex gummy is actually like one of our most popular products right now, if I'm going to go after like a sexual health and wellness platform or marketplace, um, I need somebody who can negotiate and be in the weeds on that. So I kind of put those all in the same bucket of uh, paid, but partnerships, because it's not paid social, which is different. That is just running a ton of multivariate tests. So they're very different. Social media is a full-time job, but you don't have to do it alone. Ami is our favorite social media agency. From TikTok to tweet, you'll work with a team of professionals to level up your social media in 2021. Visit amisocial.com. That's A-M-I-E social.com. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense over there. You know, especially for a lot of these small businesses, like they might not always have the most like resources and time. And so one thing that's the most important is obviously revenue, right? So You're trying to grow your business as fast as you can. So that way, maybe you can do some of these more fun long-term strategies down the line. And so when we're thinking about that, what do you think the play is for SMBs when it comes to influencer marketing? What does success look like over there? And I know you might have touched on this a little bit early in terms of your influencer strategy, but if you can reiterate again, like kind of like what that mix of right influencers and creators looks like. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. If you don't have a ton of capital, like I raised the smallest like pre-seed round to just order the product. So I'm right there with you. Like as a founder of an early stage company, you have to remember like, you are in day one and you're comparing yourself all the time to these companies that are 
way have been doing this for a few years. So first and foremost, like give yourself grace, like this takes time. But to get into the tactical weeds of this for a second, I believe in influencer marketing when you have no resources, just like networking. Find people that you can have a conversation with and get on the phone with them, get them to know who you are, why you started this company, why it's important to you, show them the testimonials and be honest with them. Be like, I really, really want to work with you. I want to figure out how to make this work. And you just have to be realistic about the targets you're going after and be very, very like send them product, get them to love your product. And then be like, listen, like, let's figure out a way to make this mutually beneficial. And then that's probably where affiliates come in, where you give them affiliate linking and you say, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you my margins on this, or I'll give you 50% of the margin on this. I can't pay you to post because I have no marketing budget. But the more and more sales you bring in for me, you get a huge cut of that. And bigger than anyone else or any other affiliate that I'm giving because like you're believing in me and you're believing in this product. And so get creative, but also be a human and just become friends with people and and spend that time networking. And that's why it takes a lot of time and effort. And you can try these like plug and play influencer networks. There's a few that I am like I'm testing right now where I'm like, okay, you have a network of 50,000 influencers of varying sizes, and you can pitch them in bulk. The way that I'm thinking about it, though, is I don't want it to just be pay to play. Like, I want people to opt in for this whatever campaign, but then I want to do a kickoff call. I want to invite them to a Zoom where they get to talk to me as the founder and hear why House of Wise is very important. And And so that's kind of how I think about, as a small business, how you can start approaching it. But it's not going to be an overnight thing. You're not going to be able to just like magically get some, you know, macro influencers to just post about you. And there are and there are things you have that big businesses don't have that they can't do. Right. So, you know, you are, say, as an SMB capital constraint, but there are things that the big businesses look You know, when they look down at SMBs, they're like, man, well, I wish I had the time, you know, to actually be able to build these relationships because capital doesn't solve every problem. You know, they're throwing away money at influencers that, you know, a lot of them just, you know, don't even complete the campaign how they were supposed to or don't even respond and money is stolen, product is stolen. Um, So, you know, I think there's always... um, there's the positive in, in being an SMB that, that you can build the relationship. And when you one day hopefully get that big, you know, um, this is it's kind of like overnight success kind of thing. Well, no, you've been building that relationship for years now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, and, you know, as I was thinking over there, uh, just like thinking about like the value prop that you're sharing with those influencers. And it's really just, like you said, telling that story, telling that, that great story, getting them excited about the brand. Um, And so when you are going into your conversations with influencers, I'm really curious, like, what are the, what are the things that you try and, and push for, like the value that you're bringing to the table that maybe a, a bigger brand might not be able to give or or something that kind of gets them really excited. I would love to hear um, what you're kind of doing on the pitch side. 
Well, I mean, full transparency, we haven't started a ton of top like influencer, macro influencer partnership negotiations. Like I said, the bottoms up approach is how I'm spending the majority of my time with the wise women doing hangouts. Like we did a what the F is Bitcoin this week and just like being a part of their lives and helping them to feel in control of their lives. But I can like hypothetically say like as we get into influencers, macro influencers. I'm very, very focused on um, targeted outreach. So I'm going to select people, women who are authentically in line with our brand mission and purpose. And so I can imagine going to someone who talks about sexual health and wellness and how women should be in control of their own sexuality and being in the mood. And how do you do that? Finding someone who authentically talks about these things And then reaching out, doing a kickoff call, telling them about why this is important to me, showing some of the content that we've created, and then getting creative, just being like, hey, I want to help you just as much as, you know, you can help me. So how can we work together? Is there a way that we can do a joint PR initiative where we can have you speak? We can pitch you because that's something I do have. Like I have media connections and as a, you know, I've been in this industry for 15 years, like I can help them also expand their reach. And so getting creative on what are their goals? Their goals are obviously to continue to build their brand and expertise in this vertical. Great. Well, we have an audience that wants this information. Let's start to get creative on, is this a content share? And that we pitch that content out to different press and you are quoted in it. And then on top of that, then we create like the actual influencer posts and campaigns and whatnot. And then there's like, do we develop a product together? Maybe there is a person who wants to be a part of our expansion of our sex line and wants to like see the ins and outs of what it means to build a physical product. And they that would get them super excited. That would need to be a macro influencer from in a line with somebody, but that could be intriguing to somebody because that is a hard leap to go from content creator to D to C brand. Most people have no clue how to make that leap. And if I can actually say, I will educate you on how to do this, I think that that's valuable that big brands would never do. It's really interesting. I was actually just reading up on this topic of like kind of linear commerce um, that Web Smith talks about a little bit. And it's kind of like, you know, you're at that cross-section of commerce and media, basically, like someone's got the audience, and then you've also got the product. And when they kind of blend together, you're in this really good position where you can kind of create those lower CAC customers and higher LTV customers because they're more invested in your product. And so one thing that I'm thinking about as you're talking is how does audience size play into this? So influencer marketing, like Traditionally, like when it first started, it was like, you know, everyone was going after the macro influencer play and, and looking for big people to to kind of make that big splash. And now we have a bunch of different levels of influencers. Like we've got micro, there's even like nano influencers that are like really small. So when you're thinking about audience size, and even in your own group right now, how do you how do you look at that? Is there like a minimum like audience size that you're trying to go after? Does it really even matter? Like, are you just trying to really get the word of mouth going? How do you think about audience size as it relates to promotion there? If I'm going to go after an influencer that's been doing this, like they have been an influencer for a while, influencer marketing has been on around for now a few years. 
I care less about their audience size because we all know that you can buy audiences. I mean, the easy answer is like, look at engagement rate, but the, the more nuanced answer is ask for case studies and proven testimonials from other brands of how much you converted. Like, what is your conversion rate? Prove to me, like, if, if, if I'm going to pay you to do something, show me a case study of how you pushed product and what did that look like? Because, like I said, a pay-to-post can easily get you no conversion if, they, if it's not done right. And as a small business, you care about sales. So there are, like, and I, we actually have a bucket that in our spreadsheet called conversion influencers, meaning like their own niche audience that literally hangs on every single word and recommendation that they say. And that person is really good at telling the story organically of their relationship to the product. Like I said, I mentioned this earlier where it's like, it's the lifestyle influencer who knows that she's going to talk into the camera and have a few products laying around. She's not even talking about the products, but like you notice them and you're taking note of that. And then she's going to do another, you know, story the next week where she's just showing her nighttime routine. And then the third story might be a double click into your product, but they know how to like take you on that ride with them. And so when you're going to an influencer, this is huge investment for you at an early stage company. Ask for those case studies. Ask to be like, tell me about a time that you worked with a brand that was so like in line with you as an influencer in your life. What were the success metrics around that? Like how much did your audience buy and what did you learn from that? Like be okay asking those questions. And you mentioned some of those characteristics of um, those creators that um, could lead to good conversions and are just naturally good at it uh, because, you know, they haven't blown up yet. But you just know that they're eventually going to get to that phase. So how do you suggest SMBs to find those kind of creators? Yeah, 100%. Like you're going to spend a lot of time on the actual scoping of the right person. I fall down so many rabbit holes, but I love finding the person who's hungry and really good at content creation. They just haven't hit the hockey stick yet and they're out there. And so spend the time doing the research and that will save you time on the back end. Like don't just go to like obvious ones because it's obvious. Yeah. And I think you brought up something over there that a lot of people might not be as aware of as an SMB when they're thinking about influencer marketing. So kind of on that note, is there anything else that you kind of think of for micro influencers or even macro influencers that maybe SMBs might not know as much about and that they should be looking out for? Everything needs to be in writing and agreed upon. I think a lot of times in the early days, you get super excited and you're like, this person's super pumped. Like, I know it. That was a great call. And they're in. And in your mind, I mean, this is in any relationship, business, personal, whatever, you're creating a narrative in your head of what the terms of that relationship are. That person has their own, you know, if you don't actually tactically go through the business terms of the relationship and deliverables and delivery dates, it is easy for that person to just do the bare minimum and be like, okay, I got paid. 
I see a lot of SMBs be like, okay, I set aside $5,000. I'm going to pay an influencer. We're going to try this out. And they find a person. They're like, I've got $5,000. Would you, I would love to work with you. And that's it. That's kind of the extent of the conversation. You need to get very granular. Be like, okay, we're going to time this post with this. We're going to promote it across social. We're going to put some paid behind it. Like you're actually getting into the weeds of the business terms and you think about how to use that content in a 360 degree way and and you hold them to it and you have follow-up dates and you have a retro call after the first post, if it's a multi-post content series and you have a retro call to say what worked, what didn't, how did that perform before they just do a campaign and then the campaign didn't work. So I would just say that like you need to treat this as an iterative thing, not just a pay, go off and do your thing. Like feel invested because you are financially in the success of this campaign and give them feedback. I will say like on the flip side, what I've seen a lot of SMBs do is just be like, here's the post. We created it for you because that you want to like make the influencer's life easy And so here's the post, here's the caption, like, thanks so much, like, do this. That's not going to perform. Like, you just wrote something for someone else. You just created a post. They're going to do it because, like, they're just getting paid. But you need to, like, give them the autonomy. They are a creator. They created an audience for a reason. Their audience will know if it's not, you know, their voice, their normal content series. And so you got to give them the creative freedom So there's this fine balance of like, here are the value props. Here's the point I want you to get across and now do your thing. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense over there. All right. I think I'm pretty much out of uh, questions over here. I know we covered a a lot of different stuff in in influencer marketing. Ramon, do you have anything else that you want to add? I don't really have any questions. I think my favorite part was that, you know, all along the entire conversation, it kept popping up the fact that being patient is key, especially for SMBs. And I can totally relate, you know, because we at Trend haven't, you know, we haven't raised a Series A or anything like that. And it's, you know, a lot of this stuff just takes a ton of time. Like you hear all the successes that happen, you know, within the first year or all these billion dollar valuations, but you don't hear that even the billion dollar valuations that took, you know, seven plus years or whatever. And it's like, well, that's a long amount of time. And it doesn't mean that it's going to take you seven years, but it just takes a ton of patience. And that is a much better route and mindset to go about it than, you know, um, expecting the huge pop within the first year of the business. That's not usually how it goes. And the ones that do that, um, you know, likely weren't in for the mission from the very beginning. So, um, yeah, I, I love that, Amanda. So uh, thank you a lot for the time. Uh, this was awesome. This was super valuable. We're going to share it with our entire community as well and wish you the best of, of success with House of Weiss and everything you're doing. I'm sure it's going to continue to do great. So um, where can people find out more about you or House of Weiss? Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm most active on Twitter, but you can follow House of Wise. Hopefully, if your age range is set above 18, so we found that that is a thing on Instagram. And you can go to houseofwise.co to learn more about the products, but definitely go buy from a wise woman. That's what they're in it for. Awesome. Um, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast over here. We had a ton of fun discussing influencer marketing. 
thanks for the audience for listening in. I hope you really enjoyed this episode with Amanda. If you did, uh, feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast. Other than that, we'll see you next time on the DTC pod. Thank you.